Let's pray and we'll crack on into our passage today. Lord, as we uh, come now to your word, we thank you uh, for it and the capacity to have it read to us and for it to um, enliven our hearts uh, with knowledge of you, warm our hearts with affection for you. I pray your spirit would minister to us, would, would help us to understand this passage, perhaps go beyond my own words and, and um, reveal more of who you are, Jesus, and what you've come to do for us in our lives. And we uh, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, throughout history, there have been uh, millions, probably millions of, of sermons preached. But there have been some sermons that have been preached that have literally uh, changed a generation, that have literally uh, impacted a culture, that have uh, shaped the church uh, in profound ways. Sermons like ones, like they've John Piper's uh, famous, uh, if you know of it, uh, seashells message that he preached, or or Jonathan Edwards's sinners in the hands of an angry God, or perhaps um, uh, Doctor Lockridge's sermon, uh, the Lordship of Christ. And if you've got time, uh, jump onto YouTube and have a listen uh, to that. It's a cracking uh, sermon. Then there's John Wesley's first outdoor sermon that he ever preached outdoors on a Monday uh, on the 2nd of April back in 1739. And he preached on this exact passage uh, that we're looking at today. I'm sure that uh, most of us, some of us can uh, bring to mind, can recall a sermon or, or preachers that really stopped us in our tracks, that, uh, that brought us to a place where we realized or reconfirmed uh, for us in our hearts our need of a Savior and that pointed us to the fact that that Savior is Jesus. Uh, what we would call like a, a, a gospel message that really spoke to our hearts. All of the great sermons down through the ages uh, that have been that have been preached uh, are gospel sermons about Jesus, who He is, and, and what He has come to do uh, for for us. But one of the greatest sermons, perhaps the greatest sermon. Uh, that has ever been preached was this one recorded here by Luke, uh, preached by Jesus himself. And what better way to to hear about the gospel uh, than from the one who is the living embodiment of all uh, that the gospel entails, from the one who himself is the gospel, for want of a better word. In this first recorded sermon, Jesus applies uh, by a means of, of metaphor and condition how he is a savior to people who see that they are in need of rescuing from poverty, uh, from blindness, from captivity and oppression. This is the gospel according to Jesus. It is a gospel that meets the, the holistic needs of People. It's a gospel that applies uh, to the whole level of what it is to be a person, not only to our need of forgiveness of sins, but also uh, to our need of physical well-being. A gospel that points us to a saving faith in Him, where we find hope in the midst of all uh, of our troubles, uh, that helps us also to see uh, who Jesus is, to see the glory of the Son of God. Luke places uh, this sermon 
uh, early in his gospel because he wants out of the gate for us to know. It's been his thing for us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, to have great confidence uh, that salvation from all of life's maladies, uh, both spiritual and physical, are ultimately found in Jesus. In Matthew places this event later on in, in chapter 13, and Mark places this event in chapter 6. But Luke places it here because uh, this sermon has all the reoccurring themes or, and the patterns of Jesus' ministry all packed into it. And he wants us to see that this is what Jesus is going to be all about through the rest of this gospel that he has. Luke lets us know also uh, that Jesus has been doing, uh, he's already begun to make a name for himself. He's already been out there doing stuff. He's a, he's a special kind of preacher. Social media has been uh, trending about him. As he goes uh, from Sabbath day to Sabbath day, uh, from, from synagogue to synagogue, teaching and preaching and being glorified uh, by all. All people could not deny that the Spirit of God was upon uh, Jesus as he preached and as he taught and as he went about in his ministry. And like no doubt, Luke attributes this, this growing... Um, fame, this growing distinction uh, of his teaching and his ministry to the fact that Jesus did return from the wilderness uh, in the same power of the Spirit that he resisted the temptations. The same Spirit in which Jesus resisted sin is now the same Spirit in which Jesus performs uh, his ministry of, of teaching and preaching. You know, it's interesting, I couldn't help but think as I, as I was looking into this passage, in an age where it's kind of trendy, kind of edgy uh, to uh, to demonize or, or to make little of the corporate, organized kind of gathering of the church, it might surprise us to find that it was the custom of Jesus. It was his preference to go and attend church week in, week out, synagogue after synagogue, to sit himself in corporate worship, to sing hymns, uh, to, possibly to listen to other people uh, a preach and teach the scriptures that were about him, you know, uh, and, and then often obviously have the opportunity himself to teach. This was Jesus' preferred mode of worship, to gather with his people, with the people of God. And we, and we saw that back as early as chapter 2 where he bailed on his mom and dad and they found him in the temple and he said, you know, this is where I have to be. This is where my soul is most satisfied. You know, we are currently and wisely uh, unable to gather, uh, but we should never settle or become satisfied in this form of church that doesn't bring us together corporately, uh, in corporate worship and in corporate love of God and encouragement of each other. Uh, we long for, should be our goal and our desire for the day when we can all flood uh, back into this building and share our faith and, and, and lift our voices in worship to God. It was something that Jesus sought after, and it should be something uh, that we seek after as well. Well, Jesus, after enjoying uh, a, a, a spring, a, a ministry of visiting a bunches of churches uh, throughout Galilee and sharing his spirit-empowered teaching, he now rolls back into his hometown and attends his home church. And as it was customary, a customary of a synagogue, uh, they didn't have uh, paid preachers, if you like. Uh, people would be invited to share the scriptures. And if they were lucky enough to have a visiting notoriety kind of preacher, then he would be offered uh, to come and to preach. So we're not 
surprised when Jesus gets handed the scroll uh, to teach from. Whether Jesus chose uh, this particular scroll or if it was chosen for him is, is unclear. But what is clear is that Jesus has a masterful grip of scripture. He immediately locates uh, the precise verses which he wishes to address and make much of. You know, scrolls, as they opened them up, they're, they're quite long. They didn't have the referencing, uh, page numbers, chapter numbers, verse numbers that our Bibles have. And, and Hebrew is kind of written, uh, you know, continuous, no word breaking up, no commas, no sentence structure, kind of like my essays. Um, just continuous letter after letter after letter. Uh, Jesus' devotion to knowing the word of God is on display as he pinpoints precisely uh, where he wants to go to uh, in this passage. Uh, a question that Philip Ryken asks uh, or suggests in his commentary uh, is we might ask of ourselves uh, you know, at this point is, how can we expect to live like Jesus without the same uh, familiarity of Scripture that satisfied the soul of our Savior. Well, Jesus reads from uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 61.1, and then into a little bit there from 58.6 and back into 61.1, and he breaks off mid-sentence in uh, verse 2. The combination of the text highlights or comes from uh, passages of Scripture that describe uh, the servant of the Lord, the suffering servant of the Lord. The servant of the Lord is this mysterious figure that's emerging in Scripture who is predicted to arrive and he's going to put all things right. He's going to bring the kingdom of God and all the good God people are going to enjoy this newfound uh, justice and peace uh, that this Messiah will bring. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me uh, to pro- proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, uh, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's Isaiah 58, that line there. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, if you're going to preach in your hometown, you may as well roll with a, with a, with a passage that's a crowd favorite. They are words from Isaiah's prophecy of the Messiah's ministry to people in distress, the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed. Jesus kind of hands the scroll back and sits down, which is a customary uh, position of a teacher. And you can see, uh, you know, as we've gone into live streaming in, into, you know, one church in many homes, we've become a far more biblical church here um, as I sit and, and preach and, and teach here. But now every eye in this synagogue is on Jesus. Every eye in the place is on him because it's now Jesus' job to provide some, some clarity to this mysterious messianic servant. But even more than that, uh, Jesus has just read an incomplete reading. He's kind of broke off mid-sentence of verse 2 there. And, and he didn't read out that, about the, the, the day of the vengeance of God, that a crowd favorite. Uh, it would be a bit like when someone sings the wrong words to the national anthem. Everybody would be like, hey, did, did he miss a lyric? Did, did they miss sing something there? He didn't read about the Messiah dealing with all those other wicked people, uh, all, all those corrupt systems that are out there. Could, 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 he, could he kind of be mean and us? Is he talking to us here? Yeah, yeah, possibly. But Jesus is also signaling that his earthly ministry will bring 
will not be one that brings the judgment of God, but one that is grace. This is a time of grace. Judgment is coming, but not right now. Now is a time of salvation. And then comes the greatest sermon, a mere nine words long. And, you know, people are probably thinking, yeah, we should become even more biblical, Mason. We should have these really short sermons uh, as well. That'd be awesome. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus' sermon, he just simply says the word of this prophecy about this Messiah is not something that will happen in, in the distant future, but it's happening right now. Today, it's happening in your lifetime. I am he. I have come. My life will be the sermon. Up until now, nothing has been able to reverse or put an end to the effects of sin and how it devastates relationships, destroys well-being and health, um, misdirects spirituality and worship. And Jesus is basically saying that all ends today. That all gets reversed today. And everybody needs to listen And everybody needs to hear and everybody needs to respond. Good, bad, poor, rich. The sermon is that in in me, in Jesus, there is hope. In me, there is salvation. In me, there is the restoring of life to those who are poor, imprisoned, blind and oppressed. Jesus basically describes uh, that what the Father has sent him to do by using this, uh, this prophetic message as a job description. However, the context of these passages out of Isaiah suggests that Jesus will achieve this not through might, not through power, not through great demonstrations of, of, of awesomeness, but that he will give his life for these things. It is the profile of a servant, of a suffering servant, one who gives his life. And in this sermon already, Jesus signals that he will bring a new quality of life to people through the cross. He's going to do a lot of cool stuff on the way to that cross, but he has ultimately come to die for the sins of the world. Jesus is also saying in this uh, sermon, it's only a certain type of heart, a certain type of audience who will hear with gladness my gospel. And we'll get more about this next week. This week we're looking at the, the content of this sermon, and next week we're going to look at the response to Jesus' sermon. Jesus frames his sermon about his ministry as being like the year of Jubilee in which all debts are declared null. Uh, We read about that in Leviticus 25. Uh, Just as the year of Jubilee invited a new start, um, the offering of divine deliverance, so will Jesus. So will his gospel. Only Jesus will not merely proclaim it. He will be the suffering servant to accomplish this deliverance. He will be the means through which the debt is annulled. It truly is good news. But as we'll see next week, not every heart, uh, indeed most hearts, are not prepared to kick their glass of water over, uh, but not prepared um, to see themselves as being poor and blind uh, and in prison and oppressed to sin. They hear Jesus' revolutionary sermon as being more about others 
uh, and is a call to action, a stuff that they can do, a things external to themselves. And they expect more of an earthly salvation that would bring uh, a physical uh, and environmental deliverance. Like this crowd, uh, they hear what Jesus is preaching. They're impressed by it. But they remain personally unchanged, unmoved. We see that begin. We see that creeping in in verse 22. Some like the idea, or we like the idea of the poor receiving a higher standards of living, a social revolution. Uh, some of us want Jesus to, 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 to um, just heal the sick, this medical revolution. Still others want Jesus to merely overthrow the Romans, a political revolutions. You know, Jesus had, cheers Tom, the power to do all of this. And indeed, uh, this is the very thing that the devil had tempted Jesus to do, to come and just do this earthly revolution. But this is not firstly what the Father has called Jesus to do. Jesus would restore sight. Jesus would feed the hungry. He would restore uh, people, set people free from oppression, from, from spiritual oppression. And Jesus cared for all of humanity's physical needs. Nevertheless, they were not his primary purpose. Like he loved to do them. We, we hear that he had compassion on people, that he moved toward the broken. But first and foremost, Jesus came to bring and to be spiritual deliverance from the power of sin in people's lives. The power of sin in people's lives that, that brought all this dysfunctionality from a core place. Radically and lovingly, Jesus makes the point that his gospel will create a community uh, out of those whose society and, and who religion usually overlook, usually pushes to the margins or, or treats as expendable. They will actually be at the center of his ministry. They will actually be the, the focus of his ministry. This is not uh, to the exclusion of the rest of society. It is true that all lives matter. However, while some lives are more prone uh, to the effects of injustice, more prone to the effects of prejudice, Jesus will be more prone to minister in these spaces. And these spaces are more prone to having hearts that are actually prepared to make the radical uh, life change that the gospel brings. And we, we saw that too in, in chapter 3 of this gospel. When Jesus speaks about the poor, receiving good news. He literally, he's literally meaning that those who are normally not the recipients of the benefits uh, of the prosperity of Rome or, or, or those who have been neglected by organized religion, the downtrodden, the disadvantaged, the helpless uh, in themselves and at mercy to powerful uh, people and adverse circumstances. You know, Isaiah 58 that Jesus has just read from is a rebuke of God's people for not sharing their bread with the hungry, giving shelter and care to the poor and the homeless and the naked. The poor are also unavoidably those who are um, outside of a rich and right relationship with God. They are spiritually poor, spiritually dead. Uh, they have placed their security and meaning in worldly riches, uh, either the possession of them or the pursuit of them, either because uh, they have riches or, or, they, or they want riches. It is for all of these people that Jesus has come. 
It is not. It is the physically poor uh, through whom are more though are more predisposed to expect expect accept. Sorry, they're, they're spiritually. Holy smoke! I'm glad you got me that glass of water, Tom. It's the physically poor that are more predisposed, they're more more willing, more prepared to uh, see their need um, of Jesus, and that He can make them rich in imperishable ways. Uh, it is the physically poor, those that are overlooked, that will not be overlooked by Jesus' ministry. They will not be pushed to the margins of society. They'll be brought in. They will hear the good news. They will not be excluded from it. Jesus has come uh, for the captives, the imprisoned. And on the surface, or, or, or practically, a captive is someone who has been captured in war. They've been you know, caught in battle and, and, and captured and enslaved. Or they've been sold into slavery uh, to pay a debt, to pay off some debt that they have that they can't meet. If Jesus had only meant in a literal sense that that's a pretty narrow mission that Jesus have. And it's got virtually no relevance to this particular audience of the people of Nazareth. The key to understanding Jesus' scope is the word liberty, which means release. He's come to bring release to captives and and the imprisoned. It's got a wide range of meaning. It it can mean to send away. It can mean to discharge, to let go. It can also mean to forgive, as in forgive someone their debt with respect to guilt, with respect to the obligations that debt owes, uh, with respect to the deserved penalty attached to their debt. Is the last meaning that Jesus pushes the scope and the implications of his gospel into. The most liberating, the most emancipating release of all. Freedom from guilt through the forgiveness of sins that is found in Jesus. Riken comments in his commentary, There is no greater captivity than the bondage of sin. It imprisons the mind, it enslaves the heart, it incarcerates the soul. You know, it makes us less human. It it, it causes us to be what we hate. We can become captive to bitterness. We can become captives to anger, imprisoned to envy and desire, guilt and hatred. And these powerful motivators cause all kinds of relational uh, dysfunction across all lines of lives. And we become enslaved to them. Uh, we We find that we become being the things we hate, saying things we hate. Jesus has come to bring release to these deep heart scripts. If this is what sin has done to us, then what Jesus did on the cross is the world's greatest deliverance. By dying for sin, Jesus pays the debt to God that we cannot pay. By raising us to new life, he offers uh, through the power of the Spirit a new hearts, uh, liberated from the slavery to dysfunctional love priorities, uh, selfish actions, and these, and these, these scripts that, that are captive to these actions. Jesus has also come for the blind, and again, both physical and spiritual blindness is in view here. With all these four conditions, there's always a surface application and a deeper one. Again, if Jesus was just going about giving sight to the blind, that's a narrow target audience and would still fail to address their deeper needs. Jesus will give physical sight uh, to the physically blind, because he is the one who reverses the brokenness of this physical world. 
And he does so as a sign uh, to let us know that he has the capacity to give spiritual awakening to people's hearts. Uh, Jesus comes to help us see our sin. He comes to help us see our need of a saviour. Not something we can do ourselves, but something the Spirit enables within us as we hear this gospel message about Jesus. Only Jesus has come for the oppressed. And the oppressed are those who are broken to pieces, shattered, squashed by life. The Bible, what the Bible calls oppressed, we, we would probably call abused. Jesus has come to heal wounded hearts that have known the cruelty of all of our sinful actions. Matthew tells us that a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out until he has brought justice through victory. Jesus' gospel is uh, liberty and hope for people who are feeling this way. There is no inherent virtue in being poor or being oppressed or in bondage, but these experiences typically correspond to or, or foster a certain condition of the heart and the soul that helps us recognize our brokenness, that, that helps us recognize our bondage and our blindness, and that the gospel meets us fully in and restores us fully. The gospel, according to Jesus, is one that meets all of humanity's physical and spiritual needs and leads to spiritual and social transformation in, in a new community. A new people emerge from it. We would call this new community the church. Its leading edge is is that in Jesus there is liberty and freedom and new life from all that sin does to the human condition. Its expression is to love and to care for those who can't love and who can't care for themselves. Most particularly those uh, that culture uh, that finds uh, that our culture kind of pushes to the margins, they get pushed out to the margins, they get overlooked by the, by the systems that are in place. All lives matter to God. And Jesus has come for all people. So when all lives, um, but some lives are, expressed, uh, are ex- uh, exposed to greater expressions of sin. And that's precisely where God and the good news of the gospel and its resources of it need to be used and need to be proclaimed. A living out of that deep heart change and that love that we have encountered in this gospel so that more and more people would encounter this in the spaces that they find themselves. Hey, church, let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for this gospel of Jesus, a gospel that has no borders, a gospel that has... Uh, no barriers, a gospel that comes to both the rich and the poor, a gospel that brings in the broken, a gospel that humbles the proud, a gospel that brings down uh, the powerful and raises up uh, the weak. We give you thanks for that this morning, that the only qualification uh, for this gospel is need, to realize our need of a Savior and to place our trust and faith in that Savior Jesus. And we pray these things in his uh, wonderful name this morning. Amen.